Father, we do thank you for your word and the way in which you bring conviction, the way in which you speak to us and challenge us through it, yet also remind us of your goodness and your grace and your love. And so we ask that that would be true of us today, that we would both uh, be convicted and also reminded afresh of your incredible goodness and kindness towards us. Uh, Help us as your people to follow you as you lead, we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, again, it's wonderful to be back with you all. This is an improvement from the last few months where I've spent most of my weeks staring at my iPhone in an empty chapel. Uh, Today, I'm here with uh, about five or six friends and colleagues uh, who are doing their very best to stay very quiet behind the scenes. Um, But this is still an improvement, and it's wonderful to have even just a taste of life back together as the family of God. And what I wanna do today is take just a few minutes and talk about walls talk about walls, specifically uh, that sense in which we find ourselves up against a wall when maybe we're in a season of life in which we feel like we cannot go any further, when we have an obstacle in front of us that we do not see a way around or over or underneath, when we, in a sense, feel stuck in our faith. And I think in countless ways, if we're honest, the last few months have felt like an insurmountable wall for so many of us. And as I've talked with family and with friends, even parishioners, uh, one of the most consistent refrains I've heard again and again is I cannot wait for things to go back to how they used to be. I cannot wait for things to be normal. Maybe you've found yourself in recent weeks saying that the fatigue of this year, of this season of life is setting in and you are tired of being up against a wall. And so you're saying some version of, I just want things to be normal. And while I really genuinely understand the sentiment, have said versions of this myself, here's the thing I want us to sit with and think about today. In our quest for normalcy, we could call it, this quest for normalcy, are we possibly sidestepping or missing an invitation from our Lord Jesus to grow deeper in our faith, to actually deepen and be changed as a result of this moment? Because here's the thing, my friends, struggle, struggle in one form or another lies at the very heart of the Christian faith. Struggle lies at the heart of what it means to be Christian. And that's not a very popular thing to say. If we go and say, to be a Christian is to struggle, that is not an easy way to win the masses to the Christian faith. And yet to deny that is to deny something that's fundamental to what it means to be a Christian. Because I'm convinced of this, that without some form of struggle, some form of challenge or adversity or difficulty in your faith journey, you will never actually grow. You will never actually develop and find any form of substantial advancement or growth in your life with Christ. I think this is why St. James in his letter can be so bold as to say this in chapter one. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. God wants us to be mature, James says. He wants us to be complete, not lacking in anything. This is the life that he offers to you and to me. And so when we face struggles, when we find that we're up against a wall, might it be in the mystery of who God is 
that he's actually giving us an invitation to grow. It's an invitation from our Lord into maturity. And I think that's the most helpful way today for us to sit with our reading from Genesis 22. Genesis 22 is one of the most well-known, but also frankly, one of the most disturbing passages in the whole of the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament. This is one that you usually skip over in Sunday school. This is a really difficult passage. And there's so many things we could say, so many questions that this reading brings up if we had time to sit with them. I think most obviously questions of child sacrifice and the goodness of God and how in the world those could possibly go together. I'd love for us to sit with those. Next time Lydia preaches, she can uh, tackle that one for us. Uh, Today, I wanna sit with this theme. I wanna sit with this. Uh, In stories like these, which is really in Abraham's story, a story of testing. I think it's given to us as an invitation to see how we can grow through confusion, how we can grow through pain, how we can grow when we do not understand what God is doing and yet we choose to follow him still. This is fundamentally a testing. It is said that God puts Abraham to the test. And yet it is a test, I believe, for Abraham to grow, to grow in the midst of a very painful and confusing situation. It's a moment for him to pass through a trial and come out different on the other side. And I have to say, now as a parent for many years, I have three children, it's hard to read this story without reading it through the lens of a parent because I read it and I think there's no way on earth I would ever do that to my child where I would ever say that that's what God's asking of me to do. I would say to Abraham, I would say, surely Abraham, you missed missed God on this one. You must've had something strange for dinner last night that's making you think weird things, dream weird dreams. This is not what God would tell you to do because as a parent, if I'm honest, the number one thing I spend most of my time doing is keeping my children from pain keeping my children from any situation in which they might be vulnerable, in which they might be exposed. And so this is quite literally the opposite of that. And yet here's what's really interesting. I'm reading a book right now on parenting. That's a fantastic book. It's called Parenting Towards the Kingdom. Parenting Towards the Kingdom. And I was reading it this week and I thought of this line that the author says, mindful of our reading from Genesis today. He says this, he says, your job as a parent is not to resolve every conflict for your child, but your job is to be with your children in their struggles. That's a massive difference. Your job as a parent is not to resolve every trial, every obstacle, every challenge that your child has, but your job as a parent is to be with your child in their struggle with your child, come alongside them in their pain. Why? Why is that our job? Because a child will be more substantial than they were before. They will be deeper, more fully human, who they are meant to be if they endure that struggle and come through the other side. And you may not have children. You may say, well, what does that have to do with me? I'm convinced of this. Whether you have a child or not, we all have a parent and more fundamentally, We serve a God whom Jesus Christ has told us to refer to as our father. And so I do wonder, is that image of parenting in some way helping us understand Genesis 22? Does it in some way help us understand God's heart towards us as a parent, where he does not always keep us from every struggle. He does not keep us from facing a wall or an obstacle, but he is with us in that place because he knows as a good and loving parent that if we can follow him through that space, through that trial, 
we will be different as a result. And not just different, we will be changed for the better. We will be more fully human, more fully who we are meant to be. And that, my friends, is the very shape of the Christian faith. That is the very heart of what it means to follow Jesus. Because this story, it looks ahead to Jesus Christ. In our reading today, Isaac is this beloved son who is spared. But Isaac points us to another beloved son, to a even greater beloved son who was not spared, who saw death and suffering and sorrow and loss. He looked it straight on and he walked through it because he knew it was a death that was leading to a birth. He knew that in giving himself up for the life of the world, for the life of you and me, that we could go and do the same, that we could therefore begin to see our own struggles through this lens of redemption and sacrifice that leads to victory. I imagine very few of us listening right now would say that 2020 has been your year, where you would say you have just been thriving in 2020. Uh, This year has brought with it unbelievable disruption and confusion and walls, to use that image, walls, it seems, everywhere we look. We've seen them financially. We've seen them physically. We've seen them culturally. This is a deeply disorienting season of life. You may feel like you are in a season of life that is a dark night of the soul. That's a phrase that if you're following along with our EHS study uh, that Pete Scazzaro borrows from John of the Cross, the great 16th century Spanish mystic. He has a a work by the same title, uh, A Dark Night of the Soul. But here's something that Scazzaro points out that I really appreciate. John of the Cross also uses this phrase that I think is even more powerful. He uses this phrase, the dark night of loving fire the dark night of loving fire. And I think that image of loving fire is more helpful. It stirs something in us very deep and profound. It's not an image I grew up with when I thought of fire. I wouldn't have connected love with it. I thought of fire almost exclusively as wrath and judgment. But throughout the scriptures, fire is so often, more than not, it is a source of God's love towards us. Here's how. When we're up against a wall, when you and I feel weary and overwhelmed and exhausted, those seasons of life, they stir things up in us that most of the time we want to keep hidden. We want to keep deep and pressed down and buried. Things like our pride, our love of physical comfort, our need to turn to quick fixes that make us feel better in the moment, our anger, our envy of what others have. All of these things, they are unsettling things in our lives that we don't like to deal with. And yet the gift of a season like the one we're in is that if you can tend to those and pay attention to them, as those things are stirred up within you, the fire of God, the loving fire of God comes to consume them, not to consume you, not to consume you or to dehumanize you, but to consume the things that hurt you and harm you and make you sick so that you can be healed. And that is the gift of a wall. That is the gift of a season like the one so many of us find ourselves in today, that it is a loving fire that if we will let it, it will consume us not to destroy us, but to purge and purify us so we can be made whole. So with that in mind, what I want us to do is transition now into a time of prayer. 
And as we pray, I wanna offer a prayer that actually is in the closing words of our chapter today from EHS. You may have read this earlier in the week, but I'm gonna pray this as we wrap up and then we'll continue with our prayers. So please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, teach me to trust you even when I do not know where you are going. Help me to surrender and not turn inward into myself out of fear. The storms and winds of life blow strongly all around me. I cannot see in front of me. Sometimes I feel like I am going to drown. Lord, you are centered, utterly at rest and peace. Open my eyes that I might see you are with me on the boat. I am safe. Awaken me, Jesus, to your presence within me, around me, above me, and below me. Grant me grace to follow you into the unknown, into the next place of my journey with you. In your name we pray, amen, amen.